Hello and welcome to the Better Human Podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights. In this podcast, I'm looking again at the coronavirus regulations. Some of it, which is the the later part, was recorded before the introduction of Tier 4 and the changes to the Christmas rules. So I'm going to have to give a couple of provisos. I also interview Dr. Zand Van Teleken, who is a wonderful doctor who appears on TV on my children's favourite TV programme, Operation Ouch, as well as being a public health expert. And he's going to be talking about how to keep safe in Christmas bubbles. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. If you're interested in studying human rights at university, applications to Goldsmiths, LLB Law with Criminal Justice and Human Rights and LLB Law with Politics and Human Rights are now open. To learn more and apply, please visit gold.ac.uk forward slash law. The UCAS deadline is the 15th of January. If you want to support this podcast and help make it sustainable, please chip in a few pounds at www.betterhumanpodcast.com. And I am also fundraising. You can find the details on my Twitter for law centers. Um, For anybody who finds my coronavirus commentary helpful, um, please consider giving a few pounds to law centers. So I'm going to do a couple of um, introductory points because... As I said, the second half of this podcast um, was recorded before Tier 4 and the new Christmas lockdown rules came into effect. So the first thing to say is Tier 4 is obviously something that was always a possibility. And I've done a couple of videos on the Tier 1, 2 and 3 regulations. But Tier 4 is effectively the same or very, very similar to the lockdown, which happened in November and the beginning of December. So if you go back to my commentary on that, um, the YouTube video I did and the podcast that I did, it's pretty much the same. Three key things that you need to know. First of all, you can't be leaving or be outside of your home without a reasonable excuse. And the reasonable excuses are listed in the regulations, but they are non-exhaustive. So they are what ones we've seen umpteen times before during um, this uh, period, starting in March. You can be outside of the house for, for work reasons, if it's reasonably necessary for work, childcare, for education, for training, for support groups. There's a new exception for voting um, in these regulations, presumably because the government thinks they're going to carry on potentially to the next local elections. The key point you've got to understand is that list is non-exhaustive. Um, so you can have a reasonable excuse which isn't listed. But generally speaking, if, if the court looked at what... Uh, an unlisted reasonable excuse could be, they would consider that it has to be in the same kind of um, things that are in the list. So probably going out because you, um, you know, fancied meeting some mates in the park would obviously not be a reasonable excuse because it doesn't fit with the rest of the regulations. My advice would be to stick to the listed excuses or you're taking a risk of getting a fixed penalty notice or even being prosecuted. The second thing to understand about tier four is that you can't gather outside of the house or inside the house um, in groups of more than really more than two people or or in the house um, more than one person um, unless you fall within one of again a listed number of exceptions and the difference with the gathering rules is that the exceptions are exhaustive so that means 
the exceptions are the exceptions and there are no others um, which are unlisted. Um, so, it's, so it's differently structured to the reasonable excuses for leaving the house. But again, it tracks the same sorts of things which are in the earlier parts of the regulations about leaving the home or being outside of the home, education, training, work, childcare, those sorts of things, visiting a, a, a sick relative, assisting people who are vulnerable um, and vulnerable has a specific meaning. I'm not going to go into the details because I'll put a link to my Twitter thread in the show notes um, and that you're much better off just reading the, the Twitter thread and you, so you'll be able to see the regulations in front of you and check what they say. The third thing to understand about the tier four is that you won't be able to go to shops um, and hospitality attractions restaurants, cafes, pretty much all shut unless um, for takeaways, supermarkets are open. So it's in the same vein as the lockdowns we've had in March, the lockdown we had in November and early December. So the other main thing that has changed because of these regulations, um, the new regulations that came into force on the 20th of December, um, which I, I'm recording this on Monday the 21st, which is so yesterday um, when I'm recording this, is that the Christmas period, which was um, originally five days, has reduced down to one day. What's the relevance of the Christmas period? Well, the importance of the Christmas period is that you can have linked Christmas gatherings. And linked Christmas gatherings, I explain in some detail um, in the next part of the podcast. Um, but the important thing to know is that you can only have them in tiers one, two, and three. You cannot have them in tier four. And a linked Christmas gathering is where people from up to three households or up to um, six households, if each of the three households is linked to another household, as I explain in the next bit um, can all come together um, in now only on Christmas Day. So in the second part of this podcast, if you hear me say for five days, it's not for five days, it's for one day. And in tier four, there are no Christmas gatherings at all. Um, and that's really important to understand. And and so going forward, um, I'm going to be talking about the what the how the linked Christmas gatherings work. And they're quite a bit wider than people think. And then I'll be talking to um, Dr. Chris Van Tullican about how to keep yourself safe. One other thing I wanted to mention um, about the newest regulations is that they don't ban travel between different parts of England, um, even from tier four to the lower tiers. What they do is they prevent you being outside of the house, outside of your home, without a reasonable excuse. So this is quite a subtle difference. Um, people talk about there being travel bans, but one thing which isn't banned, and in fact is explicitly allowed um, by the government guidance, um, and, and and certainly isn't prohibited by these regulations, is travelling anywhere in England to a link to a household you are linked with, or that person coming to travel to you. And the, what the government guidance says very clearly is that you mu in terms of the travelling out of a tier four area, it says you must stay at home and not leave your tier four area other than for legally permitted reasons such as, and then one of them is visits, including staying overnight with those in your support bubble, your childcare bubble, um, or your childcare bubble for childcare. So that's a really important um, point, which I think most people 
aren't aware of um but it does allow for travel now obviously you have to um, use your discretion and do that safely um and also follow the government guidance because it's the right thing to do um, but what i've tried to do um in my twitter threads and i try to do in the bit next part of the podcast is explain what the rules mean so you can make up your own mind about what you're going to do one final point is that the next part of the podcast is also available as a video at the Better Human Podcast YouTube channel, which I'll link to in the show notes. Thanks very much. Right, so let's look at the linked Christmas households rules um, in the Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions All Tiers England Regulations 2020. So first, let's start with the interpretation section. Um, I always start there because it's an important place to find goodies about how you interpret these regulations and particularly words and phrases. Um, now, just as a, an introductory point, I think these regulations are really complicated and difficult to understand. Um, I think they're quite a bit wider than people think they are. Um, I think they've not been drafted very clearly um, with, with all respect to the people who probably burn the midnight oil um, drafting these um, after politicians tell them they've got 24 hours to do it. They are not straightforward. And I, I don't think any member of the public could reasonably understand exactly what's allowed under them for reasons I'll explain. And the other point is that they are definitely not just about three households. Christmas link households can include many more than three households, as, I, as I'll explain. So for the purpose of, the, of these regulations, a linked Christmas household means one or more members of a household who are linked with one or more members of another household in accordance with this regulation for the purpose of gathering during the Christmas period. Really important. Regulation 4.1 um, makes clear that linked Christmas household doesn't include three households which I think is what people assume. It's actually what I assumed until I, I reread these. A Christmas, a, a linked Christmas household can include any number of members from three particular households. And I'm, I'm going to explain this. I'm going to, I've done a diagram um, because this is not obvious. But what it means is you can pick um, individuals from any given household, household A, individuals from household B and individuals from household C and put them all together into a linked Christmas household. But it doesn't have to be all of the individuals from any of households A, B or C. And what that means is that the other remaining individuals can go off and join other linked Christmas households. One or more members of a household may choose to be linked with one or more members of no more than two other households for the purposes mentioned in paragraph one, if all members who would be linked in accordance with this regulation agree. So, a linked Christmas household can only include members from households A, B and C, but not household D, except in certain um, circumstances, which I'll explain. Where a person who would be a member of a linked Christmas household is a child, and a person who has parental responsibility for the child is a member of the child's household, or is any person with parental responsibility for the child in a case where paragraph seven applies, the agreement required by paragraph two is give, to be given by the person and not the child. That's all about who agrees and how. Um, but children are, are important um, in this setting, for, as I'll explain. 
Um, the members of the household that choose to be linked in accordance with this regulation are linked Christmas households in relation to each other. Obvious. Five, where a member of a household is or has been a linked Christmas household in relation to members of two other households, the person cannot be linked with the members of any other household under this regulation. So you can only be linked to one Christmas household, unless you're a child of separated parents, as I'll come to. Six, except as provided by paragraph seven, no person may be a member of more than one linked Christmas household. Seven, a child who does not live in the same household as their parents or one of their parents may be a member of a linked Christmas household formed by each parent. So that's the exception that a child or children um, who do not live with one or both of their parents can join the linked Christmas households of both of their parents. So they can go between two different linked Christmas households and I think they're the only people who can. And for the purpose of this regulation, two households which are linked households in relation to each other count as a single household. Now that's really important for this because what it means is you can actually include members of more than three households in certain circumstances, not just the child exception. And to understand that, we're going to have to go up to linked households, which is just here. Now I did this in the, in the last um, video. But just in short, linked households is, is a concept that's been around for a number of months in these COVID regulations. They were originally designed to allow for households with only one adult and however many children to link with any other household to effectively become one household. And, and I think the idea was to prevent loneliness, to prevent social isolation for people who lived on their own or on their own with children. But they've been greatly expanded by the most recent regulations. So now... Um, as you've got household A and household B, and household B can always be any household, so any formulation, but household A can only be a certain kind of household, has to be one adult or one or more children and no adults, so a household with no, no adults, one adult, one adult and one or more ch children who is under the age of 18 or were under that age on the 12th of June 2020, one or more adults and a child who is under the age of one, or was as at 2nd of December. So this was this is new, this was about, if, if there's two parents, but they've got a baby under one, they can link to another household, but they can't, I don't think, if they've got any other children over one. One or more adults and a child who has a disability and requires continuous care, who is under the age of five, um, or was under that age on 2nd of December, and one or more person who has a disability and who requires continuous care so they may then choose if they if your if household A has that that formulation they can choose to link with another household and the importance for um, linked Christmas households is if you remember household A B and C household D if it is the kind of household which can form a linked household can link with household C and therefore they become one household for the purpose of of linked Christmas households so they can you can have people members of household a household b household c and household d in that Chris link christmas household so it's four households but actually if, if households a and b are linked to households e and f because they're linked households then you can have members from members of the link christmas household from six different households so i know that's not clear and i'm sorry it's not so let's look at a diagram okay so here is my diagram and i know it looks complicated and i'm sorry for that 
but this is a complicated bit of law. So let me try and explain how it works. So what you can see at the top is the, I've, I've created four, in fact, five households, representative households. And as I said, it's, although as advertised, it's three households that can join a, join a Christmas household, a linked Christmas household. The reality is it's quite a bit more than that. And I'll just explain why. So let's make a linked Christmas household. Um, we've got household one, which is just sort of three adults, two children, but it can be any household. Household two, which is the same. Household three is the same. Um, but household three is linked to household four. And household four is a single adult household, adults and three children. So they can be a linked household. So for the purpose of the linked Christmas households, household three and household four are the same. Who's this little um, guy here? That is a student returning home. And a student returning home to a linked household doesn't change the fact they can be a linked household, but it means that a linked household can end up having two adults rather than one, or even, I guess, if it's two students, it could be three adults. Um, so each of these households can form part of a linked household. And each individual can join a different linked household. So let's try it. So we'll take this, an adult and a child from linked household, from household one, an adult and a child from household two, an adult and a, a child from household three, and the same from the linked household, household four. We can also take the student because the student can go um, with household four. And we can take a child of a separated parent who can go into, um, into there. What about linked Christmas household two? Well, they can be the same sort of thing. You can just, you know, they can all join different linked Christmas households and the child of the separated parents. Now, obviously this could be, well, there's two, there's two ways this could involve more households. The first is that each of these households, one and two, could also have a linked household. So for five, five and six could be linked to one and two. And linked Christmas household number one could be made up of people from completely different households to link Christmas household number two. I've just made it the same group of households because that's all I've got space for on my single screen. So you could actually have 12 households across these two linked Christmas households, but then they could all be going back to their original households and sort of, you know, um, and, and cross-pollinating. And that's why linked Christmas households are so potentially wide. In fact, there's, there's, there's one more point, which is that the child of the separated parents, if their parents are in two different linked Christmas households, they can go. So this, this little child can go across from one to the other, as long as one of their parents is in each. Right, let's go back to the, the regulations. Now everything's clear about linked Christmas households. The next thing you have to know is the exception to the gatherings rule. And this is from tier one. Um, so tier one is the lowest tier. Exception 21 is that a gathering takes place during the Christmas period um, or where subparagraph 31 applies immediately after the Christmas period. The gathering consists of members of, of no more than three households. So we've done that already. Each of those members is in a linked Christmas household in relation to the others. And the gathering takes place in a private dwelling in a conveyance, which is a sort of vehicle, um, in a place of worship or in a, play, a public outdoor place that satisfies the conditions in subparagraph 32. So 
that's where you can have a gathering, a linked Christmas household gathering. Um, and this 31 applies where one or more person in the gathering have not been able to return to their home because of unforeseen disruption to travel. So if somebody can't leave the linked Christmas household because of unforeseen disruption to travel, they can stay until immediately after the Christmas period, whatever that means. Um, so the next day, I guess, maybe a couple of days if there re- remains unforeseen disruption to travel. And then just, just for f- to finish off, Christmas-linked households apply equally in all three tiers. doesn't matter if you're in tier one, tier two, or tier three. You can gather in a, in a Christmas-linked household um, with all the um, rules that I've explained. Final point is about travel. Now, travel between tier one, tier two, and tier three is something which appears heavily in the guidance. And if you remember in the last video, I spoke about guidance being what you should do, the the, the regulations being what you must do in law. Now, the guidance says effectively don't travel from tier three to tier two um, for linked Christmas gatherings. I think I think that's what it says. I'd probably call, maybe cause some bubbles. But there's nothing in these regulations. Um, there's nothing in the law which prevents travel between tiers. And I'm not saying you should do it, but I'm saying that you you may in law do it because there's nothing that there's, these aren't regulations which um, prevent travel between different areas or being outside of the house without a reasonable excuse, as um, as in the as was the case in the lockdown. So that is linked Christmas households. I hope it's clear. A bit clear, um, but they are wider um, than I think people realise. They are more complicated than people understand, and I think they're more complicated than I understand, um, let alone everybody else. Uh, but what I wanted to do for the second part of this podcast, um, because th- this may seem as a, you know, I'm quite dealing with it quite a legalistic way. Obviously, we're in the, the context here is not just a bunch of complicated rules. It's a deadly virus which spreads through social interaction, particularly indoors. Um, so I wanted to bring on um, Zand Van Tulliken, um, who is a doctor, he's a TV presenter, um, and he's brilliant at explaining medicine um, and public health in a, in a simple way. The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month that's just over two pounds via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash better human. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable. And I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Well, well thanks so much for joining me, Dr. Zant. Um, I, it was really um, good for you to say yes, because I'm what I'm keen to do is zoom away from the legal um, you know, implications of these regulations, which I think are, as, as I tried to explain in the first part of this video, really quite wide in terms of who can meet with who. Um, and start and talk really about, first of all, you know, what a, a lot of people will be wondering how risky is COVID-19 now? You know, is it the same as it was in March? Um, how worried should we be about coming back to this level of mixing together indoors? Okay, that's a great question. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me on. I feel like this is the least stressful forum to discuss this in because for once I'm not expected to know the rules. That's literally your job. And I 
I've really prompted by you. I ha- on Twitter, I have downloaded these 30, 40 page documents and tried to read them so that I don't make a fool of myself when I'm talking about them on the telly and on social media. And also you have made me realize that without a law degree, it's pretty difficult to do. So my job tonight is just the, just the public health, just the infectious diseases bit, um, which I'm much more comfortable with. How dangerous is COVID-19? Um, it's, it's a tricky thing to explain to people because, of course, your risk does vary a lot depending on who you are. Um, the, the variables include um, sex, race, age, pre-existing health status. So if you are young and thin and a woman and you're from an affluent background and probably you're white, that will make it a very much less dangerous disease than if you are the opposite of those things or different in any of those categories. So I would say that is important information for people. If you are planning a Christmas gathering, I think the first thing to remember is that you're going to be through the people around you. You're going to be in contact with lots of people who may not be coming into your house, but People are coming in and out and contacting other households. That's a risk. But if you're inviting people who are older, who are vulnerable in some way, perhaps they're overweight, perhaps they have respiratory conditions, you really need to think of their risks very differently to the point where you need to discuss it with them in some depth. So this, so COVID-19, despite improvements in treatments over the last, over the last year, uh, is still a disease that is many times more dangerous than flu. Flu is one of our, it's probably our most dangerous common infection that circulates at the moment. Flu kills tens of thousands of people a year in the UK. Um, and this is very much more dangerous than that. Uh, as someone who has had it, and I'm young, I'm overweight, but I'm not enormously overweight. Uh, I'm also, when I say young, I'm 42, but I'm not in my 80s. You know, I'm, I'm in middle, early middle age, let's say. It, it still knocked me for six. I'm still tired from it. And I have what is probably a permanent heart condition as a result of it. So I, I think we are not being as respectful of the virus as we should, uh, as we should be. It, it, it is a dangerous condition. Does that, does that, yeah. I, I, hope, I don't normally like to do any scaremongering, but I do feel we're at yeah. a moment where everyone wants to go out and socialize and people are fed up of it. People feel the vaccines just arrived and this is still a very dangerous virus, and the vaccine is protecting very few people. Yeah, I think the Prime Minister said 100,000 people today, but presumably that's 100,000 who have only had the first dose of the vaccine, so are unlikely to have the next dose before Christmas. 100,000 is a minuscule proportion of the population. And the crucial thing now, I think, is to, is to remember that if you were one of the people who took a sort of devil-may-care attitude earlier in the year. That was understandable. There was a logic to going, this virus is going to be with us forever. We don't have a treatment. We don't have a cure. We can defer deaths, but if it's going to get you, it's going to get you eventually. That wasn't my view, but I can understand how you would arrive at those views, and I think reasonable people could disagree about that. But now, this is a preventable disease. And there will be people who catch it on Christmas Day who die of it a month later. And there was no reason for that to happen at all. So now we, are, we have the possibility of preventing deaths. And there is a risk that we're taking things with a very short-term benefit over Christmas, taking risks that will literally definitely kill people. Every day in this country, at the moment, probably a dozen, a few dozen people today 
caught the virus that, that will kill them. I mean, that's really sad. And one of the things that, in terms of the, the restrictions that I've been looking at for months and months, one of the key aspects of these restrictions has always been about indoor gatherings from right. the, nearly the beginning. And, and why is that? Why has that always been more of a focus on indoor gatherings than, than outdoor gatherings? So the virus mostly moves in droplets that come out of your mouth. It, it, there is the possibility you can find virus if you cough on a surface and then go and look on that surface and try and find the virus. Or if you if you pick your nose or, or pick your teeth and then touch something, you can find virus there. But it, it seems from all the data that the main way this moves is through the air. It moves in little droplets when you're speaking. And the more you're speaking, uh, the louder you're speaking, the more energetically, if you're singing, the number of droplets coming out coming out of your mouth goes up. And if, if you've ever sat you know, at a concert or a theater and seen someone singing or speaking, you can see the spray coming out of their mouth. Every single one of those droplets will contain virus, even if you're not symptomatic. And those linger in the air. So the reason we say two meters is because you can track what happens to those droplets and gravity will pull most of them down by the time you're two meters away from the mouth. So two meters is really important. Ventilation is really important. But if it's in a closed space with closed windows where people can't be two meters apart and you need a massive house for everyone to be two meters away from everyone else at all times. I mean, literally, you need to live in a palace if you've got more than four people in your room. It's simply impossible to do. So um, so that that means the droplets linger in the air. They don't disperse. They land on surfaces that people are going to touch, but mostly you're just going to breathe them in, get, your no- get them in your nose, get them in your eyes, and that's how you catch the virus. So, so I mean, a big gr- I've been looking at how many people could join a Christmas, a linked Christmas household. Um, and because of the way that the, the linked households work, um, and you can basically have two households forming each of the three households that you have in a linked Christmas household, you can end up with six households. Just assuming there's a group of, say, 20 people, 30, 25 people, and assuming there isn't, you haven't got a big house, um, how can you mitigate the risks? Is there any way of realistically mitigating the risks? I would say if you... Yes. So there are lots of things you can do. There's a sort of list of government guidelines and and a lot of these are very reasonable. So you can open your windows. um, You can make sure that visits are short. You can wear masks whenever possible. You cannot move around. Um, You can sit far away from each other. But the main governing principle, I think, should be that nothing about this Christmas should feel normal. If you're doing what we all want to do, which is sitting cosily around the fire and it reminds you of Christmases, Christmases in the past, the Christmases of yesteryear where we all enjoyed, you know, doing a bit of karaoke around the fire or whatever you love to do, all of that is wrong. It should feel, your room should be cold, drafty, with very few people in it, and those people should not be speaking too loudly and they shouldn't stay for very long. At which point you go, well, what... What are you trying to achieve here? I mean, how much fun is that going to be? Probably not very fun. We've heard lots of ministers and politicians kind of defending the government's plan and saying, no, people really need this. I don't think that people need to put themselves in an environment which is likely to massively increase their risk of death in the next few weeks. That does not seem to be a reasonable way of thinking about it. So, and I don't think people really need to sit around in the cold feeling a bit miserable and like this isn't a very fun Christmas. These are of course my personal value judgments, but 
as someone who works in infectious disease and public health, the priority should be you will not be in a comfortable space. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what one of the things that comes out of the rules also is that you can you can be outside in in linked Christmas households. You can go to other spaces, um, you know, parks, whatever, depending on the weather, and have a perfectly reasonable time without sitting around the fire. Um, but I guess another point is that the it's all very well for adults, but if you've got kids, you know, getting them to follow those rules is pretty much, you know, impossible. I, I, yeah, that's, I mean, your point about outdoor spaces is, is really, really important. If you can, if you're having people over, get them to gather in the, in the, you know, outside the house and all go for a walk together. These are easy things to say, but if you're talking about a family gathering with mixed ages and British weather, you know, I feel quite, um, pessimistic about people's ability to do it. It is not easy for anyone to just go against everything they're used to doing. And if, if you promise people Christmas dinner, just to get them to spend most of the day out in the cold is, is not going to be very nice. And, and I think there is also a, a complicated judgment for people who've agreed to see relatives, you know, elderly relatives, vulnerable people over the Christmas period. And then they've said, uh, then you say, oh, well, you got to sit in a freezing cold room or spend the day outdoors. That's not very good for them either. So I can understand the families who are balancing loneliness and vulnerability with wanting to spend that day outdoors and the risk of the virus. That's, I don't have a better solution than going either have a bad cold Christmas or don't bother. I mean, I feel like a massive Grinch saying this to you, but <laughs> you're sitting in front of a Christmas tree saying, no, so <laughs> from, from my perspective, I've never felt as good being Jewish at Christmas as I have this year because our decision is pretty straightforward. We're going to do what we usually do, which is nothing. Watch a film. <laughs> so decision made. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, t it's tough for, for everybody. And I, and I think that that really comes out and it's easy to look at it from a sort of technical legal perspective and say, this is what you can do. But then thinking about what you should do is the, is, you know, the, the moral judgment every individual and every family will have to make for themselves. Yeah. And I, you know, I have, I have friends who are terminally unwell, terminally ill, uh, and they are unlikely to be alive by the end of January. That feels very different. You know, their family is treating this extremely differently. And I fully understand that. So I think you're completely right. And these are not easy judgment calls to make for anybody. So I, 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 but, and, and, and I, I think like, probably like the prime minister, like everyone who's making these decisions, hates giving people bad news and telling them what to do. Um, of course, I can't really tell anyone what to do. I can just give you my advice and my opinion. But I think the doctors in the NHS are terrified of this Christmas, uh, the spike post-Christmas. And I think everyone feels like we're so close to being able to get this vaccine out to everyone that needs it it's so much easier to vaccinate a well population where the virus isn't raging. If you possibly can, you know, kick Christmas down the road till Easter. I think that's a good place to, uh, to, to stop. Um, I mean, it's, you know, difficult times for everybody, but, but thanks so much for bringing you know. a, bit of, a bit of sense to it <laughs> insofar as we can. Dude, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I wish I had uh, more cheerful news, but anyway, you 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 enjoy the holiday. So 
thanks very much to Dr. Zand Van Tulliken. All that's left to say is that the Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. If you're interested in studying human rights at university, applications to Goldsmiths Law with criminal justice and human rights and LLB Law with politics and human rights are now open. To learn more, please visit gold.arc.uk forward slash law. Don't forget the UCAS deadline is on the 15th of January. If you want to support the podcast and make it sustainable, please consider chipping in a few pounds a month at www.betterhumanpodcast.com. My name is Adam Wagner. This is the Better Human Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.